and welcome to Cinema Spectator, a show where an expert and a casual movie fan watch movies in the cinematic canon. Today, we watched It Happened One Night, directed by Frank Capra, starring Clark Gable and Claudette Colbert. My name is Cameron Tuttle, and I'm joined today with Isaac Ransom. Isaac, how are you? I am doing well. Watching old black and white movies that look super grainy again. We're back to it. No more modern stuff. Yeah, no more modern stuff. Get out of here, Godfather. That old guy with the mustache is back. It's kind of hilarious because The Godfather is 50 years old. Isn't that crazy? Wow. It's pretty like, wild. It's going to turn 50 in um next year. So, I mean, that's insane. But like but but this movie, this movie is almost 100 years old. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, you can kind of feel it, right? Cuz after watching the last two films on this podcast, right? We've just been chewing on some very dense cinema, right? Yeah. At, at least that's how I'd put it as a yeah. as a casual, right? And this movie seems so straightforward. It's like the beginning, like film as an art form, like at such an early stage, right? It's yeah. consumable. It's quick. I mean, even the like watching the beginning of this film, right, where she's like, "I'm not staying on this boat," and she just jumps off the boat. I'm like, "What is happening? Like this is just <laughs> it's just going, you know? It's, it's just, just going. Yeah, it's moving." So it was a uh, it was a little bit refreshing to kind of take on a more simple film and really I, I totally agree although i will say um what's funny about this a movie like this and sort of where hollywood goes in the next um 20 years after this is um there were in the 20s i mean there were just some crazy movies that were just as dense and as maybe not as dense but just as sort of lang languorous and and um you know a movie that you had to you had to chew on just like the godfather i mean there's so many in the 20s like greed is a good example where it was like it was like five hours originally but oh jeez. Um, but i mean yeah so uh, it, it is it is funny to to see a movie like this that is so straightforward and so um refreshing in a lot of ways but um yeah what i i do want to we haven't done this in a couple of weeks but um what have you been watching recently well, I've I literally watched a movie that I have ne I've never seen anything like this film in my life. And it's not even a compliment. It is like horrific in a way that is honestly, I think it would be like a nightmare for you, Cameron. Um the film is called I like Sc those movies. <laughs> well, <laughs> just wait till I say it. Uh okay. the, the film is called Scary Movie 5. Uh, oh I, I'm not sure why I watch it, but I have never seen anything like this. Like it is just an insult to the viewer, essentially. Mm. And I wouldn't even say, like it, it's PG-13. It's not even like overly disgusting. It's just horrendously put together. It gets to a point where, like, probably like an hour into the film, because it's only an hour and a half. There's a scene where a lady is walking towards a door, right? And it cuts this scene in a particular way where you watch her walk to the door like six different times. <laughs> like that, it, like I was like, at that point, I was like, wait a second. These filmmakers like are completely aware of how bad this movie mm. is. They're and joking. They, the they joke is on you. Yeah. They literally spent the time to recut this scene of her opening a door like six times. It even plays this the clip of her opening the door in reverse just to make sure that you notice how bad it is, right? I kind of appreciate that though. In, in some ways, I mean, I feel like that's kind of funny. Like that's it's very postmodern um and it's very like um yeah, like I I think the scary movie um movies in general are just an example of of like um 
of of postmodern filmmaking and of sort of this pastiche and um, in a lot of ways. Uh, well, well, I don't know. I guess I guess they're not. I guess they're just straight parodies. But um, well, it's and, hor- it's like horrifically unfunny in a lot of situations, which yeah. almost like plays back around where you're laughing. Yeah, um, yeah. So. You know, Jules and I watched it together, and we found it just one of the most entertaining films we've ever watched <laughs> together. Wow. Um, so I'm, I, you know, there's a chance that I'll get to take over this show. I'm very curious <laughs> if we'll if we'll be able to do a commentary track on this film. Because well, what's it funny is, is my in in my horror movie class, we watched Scary Movie for the uh, that was the first movie in the class. Right, we watched Scary Movie, um, which I always thought was weird because I mean I understand the experiment, like the the you know, when you're making fun of something and when you're sort of reflexive on it, um, you, you kind of, you, you inherently, you kind of understand what the joke is about, right. In a lot of ways. Um, and it's a good example, I would say for, for moments where you can sort of pick apart things and and talk about why that's funny and, and why that's, um, you know, a trope in, in certain horror films. Um, for me, I well the, the discussion wasn't really about <laughs> the movie or like why it was funny it was about why there's so much violence against women in the movie <laughs> yes <laughs> okay is... <laughs> this this movie this movie is not against women it's against babies like complete baby <laughs> violence in scary movie five like every joke ends with a baby getting thrown or something like that and it's very very absurd like i right. just i didn't have any sort of like I, I was just my mind was being numbed at that. That's kind of like that movie. Um, have you ever seen Freddy Got Fingered? Um, <laughs> no. Where he he, uh, he, t- <laughs> he he the he's like he helps a lady give birth and, <laughs> and he flings it around the room and it's just the most like horrific thing. It's so it's <sighs> so terrible. Can you imagine um, being like an old person clicking on this podcast episode? Oh, I remember it happened one night. <laughs> I remember watching that as a child. We opened the show talking about these horrible films. I uh, mean, it, yeah, it's true. It's just that's a yeah, it's no. You make a really good point. We should move on. <laughs> all right. Yeah. What have you been watching? Um, so I watched two movies this week. Um, one, I watched uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, um, Indiana Jones, Excellent. which is just a, a fantastic movie. But I was thinking about it because um, this is, you know, it's one of those movies you just put on and you don't really watch in a lot of ways. I don't know if this is your experience with it, but it's it's kind of a movie that's either just on in the background or you're you're kind of um, it's just like a fun movie. So you you could jump in whenever you can sort of um tune out whenever and and it's kind of a great party movie or tv movie you know where it's kind of just um just on the screen um but this is the first time in a while it must be a couple of years since i've like actually legitimately sat down and like and like watched it and like taken uh, paid attention to like the story and the plot and it's just it's just insane the <laughs> the whole movie is just crazy you're like you're like where is this going what's happening right now so i i do think it's i think it's really funny um and it's it's a I don't know. In my mind, um, it's like just a raucous time. It's so fun, so enjoyable. The action is amazing, um, and yeah, I don't know. I I I I was just taken aback a little bit by the plot. I was like, wow, this is this is kind of just like one of the craziest movies ever. Like, there's so much that's <laughs> doesn't make any sense. Um, what but- I think one one of the things about Raiders of the Lost Ark that I 
always think about in retrospective is how many diverse settings are in the film. Yeah. And how easily you can forget about them till you begin to like really think about, okay, wait, he starts in the jungle, then he's in a snowy place, then he's in like uh, somewhere in Egypt, right? Yeah. And then they take another, it's like they just go all over the place. It's it's what an adventure movie should be. Totally. And even small moments where he's like, oh, he's back as a professor at the school and, you know, he's, he's suddenly... Um, She's got love the, you on her on her eyes. <laughs> yes, yes, love yeah. Um, but I I think the reason that you know the Temple of Doom didn't work for some people is because it didn't have that vast selection of environment. It was where, very much in one place. Yeah, I mean, it starts in in what like Hong Kong or something like that, Shanghai There's, or Shanghai. Yeah, um, which is a, an awesome set piece. It's just very different than what you would expect. Yeah. And then the third one sort of returns to the form of like going to all those different places. Yeah. So I, so the reason why I watched the first one was because me and Jews were going to catch the third one, um, at the, at the movie theater. Um, and so we saw that last night, um, the last crusade. That's, that's another just really fun movie. It's, we were talking about it and, and about how like, in some parts, it's kind of like a Buster Keaton movie. Like it's it's very it's very funny. There's a lot of physical humor, um, little like uh, f- f- sight gags that are just um, just really enjoyable. Um, I think for me, you know, um, I think Temple of Doom probably is the one that I've watched most. Maybe Raiders is the one hmm. that I've wa- watched most. Um, I'm not sure, but I because I've seen all of them um, so many times, it's it's kind of hard to to say which one you've watched maybe Raiders is the one I've watched most but um watching the third one again it's just it's just a great like straightforward movie um it's the the adventure is very clear the adventure is very um you know there there's a lot of uh, you know obviously like they're trying to get to this one thing um in Raiders it's it's kind of convoluted because they they know where the thing is it's already been dug up basically but they got to steal the thing and then they got to you know go on a chase and whatnot um and so like it's it's a little bit less straightforward i guess but um uh last crusade i mean it's just it's just it's just fun it's just a fun movie um you know we were laughing the whole time and having a good time so um i just i've never understood the people that don't like the last crusade because i feel like it balances all these little moments like there's these small like personal dialogue moments that kind of have some some impactful oh, yeah. depth right yeah, 100% on top of all the weird comedy and you know, fun action set pieces. And then it's also one of those, it's an Indiana Jones film where the, the, like the, the treasure at the end is like super clearly defined Mm -hmm. where they're like, it gives you something that is, um, desirable for like most, most people, right? Like eternal life or whatever. Yeah. And just, um, I don't know. I, I think the last crusade is my favorite. I absolutely love that film. Yeah. So, yeah, I I fr- I completely forgot about the Nazi book burning scene. I, yeah. I like it was that I don't know why that was like erased from my memory, but um I just love it. I love how he, <laughs> he gets the signature from Hitler on yeah. the book. It's just so funny. Um yeah, what a what a what a movie. I mean, also it doesn't make any sense because like if anyone could just walk up to Hitler. I mean, I guess it's 1938, so it's not like this is like almost pre-war hitler um but at the same time you're like 
people you could just you could just go up to him like he's he's just he doesn't have any bodyguards you get pushed and 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 you find him i don't know but well he was wearing like a german officer uniform right yes he was yeah it's true well yeah i um i love the escape from the castle scene that's like yeah it's of- amazing the the turning in the um in the fireplace and there's the you know there's the guys at the <laughs> on the other side it's awesome and i lo- i've always loved that interaction with him and his dad like where the sign like the the two signs at the end of that action sequence on the motorcycle mm-hmm. where they have to choose which direction to go yeah there that's just like such a um I don't know, like for me, an an effective moment that like teaches you so much about like their history. It just it grounds it. It's real. I love that film. Yeah, it's good. We could talk about it for a lot longer, but we should probably move on. Yeah. This is again Cinema Spectator. You can support us at patreon.com slash ECFS Productions. Get your questions read on air, get access to an exclusive commentary track each month, and a bunch of other benefits. We appreciate all our Patreons supporting us there. If you don't have a few dollars, you can just give us a rating on iTunes or tell friends and family if you enjoy the podcast. That is how the show grows. We appreciate all the support, all of you listening, whether it's on free feeds or supporting us on Patreon. It means a lot. It helps us keep doing the show. Uh, let us know what you think. If you want to message us um, in some sort of form, again, ECFS Productions, that's also on social, so you can reach out to us on uh, Twitter and Instagram and all that stuff. So yeah. Cameron, it's time to talk about this movie. I think we should go into the plot because I'm assuming most people haven't even heard of this film. I hadn't. Uh, do you want to kind of run it down? I feel like this is... I mean, of the old movies, if you know of old movies, I think this is probably one up there that you that you've heard of or you know about maybe, but haven't seen. Um, so yeah, the plot is about sort of an heiress. Um, you know, she's kind of rich and stuck up, um, and she's wanting to get married to a man that her father doesn't love or does you know doesn't like, um, and so. Uh, she's, she's sort of protesting and, uh, and, and her father's decide, you know, is, is trying to keep her away from, from her, um, you know, her fiance or husband or whatever. Um, and, um, she ends up running away. Um, and the movie is sort of a road movie about her trying to get back to, to King Wesley and, um, and, there it it follows the the male character is um P, his name is Peter Warren he's a journalist um he's kind of strung out and um you know not doing very well uh <laughs> in his own right he's uh you you int- he's introduced um in a telephone booth and he's calling his boss and kind of they're they're yelling at each other and he's he's clearly drunk and you know so he's he's kind of in disarray but um he uh, ends up recognizing that this is, um, you know, her name's Ellie. This is Ellie, um, and uh, her, or and and his job, in in some ways, is to get the scoop, um, and to kind of guide her back to, um, to King Wesley. And and he says at one point explicitly, he says, um, you know, you're gonna go with me, um. Otherwise, I'm going to, you know, sell you out to your father, basically. So, um, you know, and of course, uh, this being a romantic comedy, um, they they get to know each other. They have spats. They kind of, um, you know, the the interaction between them is basically the the entire movie. It's it's sort of about um, their differences and about where they um, appreciate each other in, in a lot of ways. So. 
um, I guess I can spoil it because it's a movie that I said is like uh, almost a hundred years old now. So um, they, she ends up um, confessing that she actually loves him now. Um, you know, after being sort of um, <laughs> after hating him at first and and going through the motions and then uh, realizing that he actually is. Um, you know, a good person and he's actually taking care of her in a lot of ways. Um, and so, uh, she decides that she falls in, she, she's fallen in love with him. Um, and there's, you know, hijinks ensue at the end, um, where, you know, there's a misunderstanding. They don't know if they're actually going to get married and then, you know, um, yeah. So in any case, I, we, we don't, we can go into that later, but, um, yeah, uh, that's kind of the the overall plot. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. It's a movie. It's basically just a road movie. Um, you know, it's a it's it's a movie that has um, a clear goal and direction, um, and is kind of in my mind. This is the first example, the first clear example, and eh, maybe not. I don't know. Um, this is one of the early examples of sort of the romantic comedy genre, um, and it's it's one of the um, most important examples of it uh, because it, it in a lot of ways it kind of shapes the next, um, as I mentioned, the next almost twenty years of Hollywood. Um, so yeah, yeah. I, th- I mean, the movie's straightforward, right? I think what you really get invested in is how the characters interact and their chemistry and their interactions and whatnot, particularly Peter and Ellie's relationship, as you said. And it really doesn't come to like full interest for me until about like a third of the movie. Um, Once you're in that deep, then you're like, okay, I kind of see that there's a little bit more complexity than him being a disenfranchised scoundrel kind of guy that is also a good guy. And, Ellie being a rich girl that has also some other problems that, that explains why she is the way she is. And the writing's solid. Even um, Andrews, her dad, uh, is pretty obnoxious at the beginning of the movie, but really begins to round out towards the end um, as sort of the antagonist throughout the film. He becomes humanized much later on. Yeah, he's and, he's kind of almost the heroic character at the end. It's it's kind of funny. He, he does have... I don't. I don't even want to say like a turnaround because, in some ways, um, he's the same. I mean, his his motivation is always that he doesn't like King Wesley, um, and I think Wesley is kind of the only character, maybe the only character who who um, he's more talked about than than anything. Um, you don't really see him do anything uh, that important or that interesting. Um, they always kind of just say like, oh, he's a phony. Like he just, he's just in it for money. Um, and in a lot of ways, like you don't really get that other than through their dialogue. So he's, he's kind of the only character who's, um, maybe like a mystery and also who doesn't really, um, he doesn't, he's not very fleshed out, I would say, but. Yeah. I, he's more of like a a plot device. The only reason why Ellie's really running in in the film to get to, I guess, her version of like rebellion or some sort of like, like real freedom from her lifestyle and all yeah. that. So, um, I think what's kind of fascinating 
for me is, you know, knowing that we're going to do a podcast on this episode and sitting there watching pretty much like a straightforward film. I'm sitting here thinking, why is Cameron making me watch this? Like, what what are we getting into? I know we're getting into the director this month, uh, Capra, Capra no, films, no. right? Frank we're Capra. we're get, we're actually getting into someone else, but someone who is obviously and clearly inspired by this movie, and I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit. But yeah, yeah. Capra. So give us give us some background. Like, why are we watching this one? Like, what what was the point? Yeah. So, um, um, this is a very early example of um what's known as a screwball comedy, um, and. In, in my mind, what's important about this movie, well, th- there's a couple of things. Um, I wanted to watch this film specifically because um, it's a really good primer for where we're going in, in Howard Hawks, um, his, his films in, in sort of the, the early 30s up into the, to the 40s. Um, and I think Capra and Hawks have a very similar um, trajectory in, in, their, um, in their careers. Um, Capra is obviously much more famous, uh, nowadays, but, um, I would say this, is this movie is uh, marked a turning point in terms of, um, Hollywood's, um, well, a lot of, a lot of things in Hollywood actually. Um, so for one, um, this was made at a time where it was, it was obviously extremely studio driven. Hollywood had, kind of gone through at this point probably like one or two eras um and first was sort of the independent um the uh it was it was kind of rough around the edges in the teens and then in the 20s that that's when you started to see the rise of these production companies and um this was uh, a company called Columbia um and Columbia is very often considered to be like one of the most um <laughs> one of the most poor and um in this era especially it was considered to be like a really sort of um a, a dumpy place to be uh and um at this time you know these big stars Clark Gable and Claudette Col- Colbert they actually were big stars at the time um and they were loaned out to Columbia because they were under contract to a different studio. Um, and the reason why they were loaned out to Columbia was because they got in trouble. <laughs> Both of them um, uh, had personal issues. Um, one, I think, uh, G- Gable was, he was having an affair at the time. And so he got in trouble for that and and was loaned out to Columbia. And Colbert, I don't remember what, what her issue was. Um, I forgot to look it up, but, um, but yeah, so, so both of them were kind of, um, were on loan to Columbia pictures, um, for this movie. And, and in fact, um, this was supposed to be, um, supposed to be sort of a dumpy movie in a, in a lot of ways. I mean, um, Capra at this time, he was only known for sort of two real comedies, um, sort of smaller budget pictures, um, movies that were not very um, uh, desired, movies that were were kind of, uh, in a lot of ways, just B-movies. Um, and so so Capra makes this movie, and, and at first, I mean, the studio didn't think it was going to do very well. Um, the stars didn't think it was going to do very well. I, uh, Colbert is famous for saying, um, like this is the worst picture I've ever made um, <laughs> after after the filming of this, and um, and th- what what ended up happening was I, th- first of all this was a very 
um, cheap movie to make. Uh, but what happened was it it blew up. I mean, this was immediately um, a sensation. It was immediately um, a huge hit, and it ended up sweeping the um, the Oscars, uh, all of the awards actually. Um, um, so it, it won the it won the the um, the five or the all five major um, Academy Awards. So Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Actress, and Adapted Screenplay. So, and it's one of, I think, four movies to do it. Um, uh, uh, one Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest was the next one, and then Silence of the Lambs. I think that's all. So three movies um, to do it. Um, and, and, you know... It it was obviously unexpected for the for the cast and and for the studio, but um, what ended up happening was this was at an era of um, the so in in some ways this is a um, was a fairly I don't want to say risque, but in a lot of ways it was um, it was you know it was a little bit um, you know it jokes about about sex it has sort of these um, innuendos in a lot of ways. And, um, this was the last major movie that was considered pre-code. Um, and we, we've talked about the Hayes code before, right, Isaac? Yes. So, um, this was the last, uh, pre-code movie. Um, and so in 34, uh, after this movie came out about four months later, they started to really crack down on movies. And what you see is, um, because of the success of this movie and because of the um the sort of um the raucousness uh, that you know people love this movie um there was a lot of imitation in the following um 10 to 15 years and that's what we consider um to be sort of screwball comedies um and or a lot of those movies are um not all of them um and so this is kind of the proto screwball comedy. Um, it's the one that came before all the rest, um, and really laid the groundwork for what the um, wh- what a screwball comedy is. Um, and so I I want to go into that a little bit um, because it's it's kind of important for um, where we're going next. Um, Howard Hawks was maybe the most important director in in the screwball comedy genre. And, um, that's what we'll see in our next couple, couple of weeks. Um, we're not going to only watch his, his screwball comedies. Um, I think we're going to do maybe two or three and then, um, and then go into some of his other movies. But, um, well, it was interesting that you were talking about the Hayes Code because I was thinking about that and I didn't realize it was after this film. Yeah. I assumed that it was sometime like during this and I was like wow they're really pushing the boundary I mean there's that scene where he's hitchhiking which is a great scene uh and uh Clark Gable's character can't seem to get a car to stop with just his thumb and so um Colbert's uh Ellie steps out on the road and shows her leg and they get a car and I was like that's like I don't know how I like subconsciously knew that was a classic moment I don't know like I I couldn't tell you why it's a famous picture I mean yeah for sure yeah. And so I was like, wow, that's kind of kind of edgy for nineteen thirty-four. You know? And even the scene with their their jokes around on the wall of Jericho and they're and they're in that that room and he's 
um <laughs> he has that that scene where he's talking about like men undressing in different ways i'm like wow this is pretty smooth you know um you know <laughs> yeah i was like i'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of impressed. I could see how people would say this is like really steamy back then. Yeah. Um, but I didn't realize it was before. Yeah. So um, that's that's one of the traits of um, of the screwball comedy, I would say, is um, uh, Andrew Saris, his famous comment about it is that um, it's a sex comedy without the sex. Um, and and part of it is because uh, because of the. um because of the restrictions obviously in that day but but the yeah. funny parts of the of the screwball genre in a lot of ways is the tension between um between getting away with what you can show and getting away with making jokes and innuendo um and in a lot of ways pushing the envelope in terms of um you know in terms of censorship and this movie was really important and it and it laid the groundwork um in a lot of ways because actually technically the code was in place um, at the time between 1930 and 1934, there was a um, there was it was an almost informal code, um, and in a lot of ways you can see how um, uh, one of the reasons why it was informal was because it wasn't wasn't really laid out. It was more of a, it was more of guidelines, I guess, um, and so this is often considered the last pre-code movie um and so the 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 code really started to to get enforced um after this movie came out and i don't think this was the reason for it this movie but in a lot of ways you could see why there was a certain um not a backlash but a, a certain kind of um restriction after this um and so we'll see in in sort of the next couple movies that we watch that um a lot of these um romantic comedies are completely um uh either sexless or um they almost have like an aversion to 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 sex between the main characters and and what's funny about that is that they they've they put sort of the odd couples in in together, um, and this is a this is an example of that where um, obviously you know they fall in love at the end, but um, they're as different as can be, and and they're constantly fighting and they're constantly sort of um, uh, getting on each other's nerves, um, and that's where the comedy and the humor comes from, um, and and that's what we'll see in in the rest of screwball comedies is, is it's it's very much about the um the tension and the interaction between the male and the female lead um i find it like super charming mm-hmm. honestly and i and i think just as a modern viewer i'm kind of stumped in a way where it's like i wonder what it would look like for someone to do this in a modern lens because i don't think that like if this film added any sort of you know let's say it had no restrictions and it just went all the way and added some sort of like you know wild sex scene in the film right like it just would have i feel i feel like it would have just ruined the the fun tension and the comedy and it's like i feel like modern films don't have those restrictions and it almost like demises some of the creativity that people could have. I, I would be curious to know if someone could make a movie similar to this and really commit to that level of restriction in order to amplify 
you know, their, their creativity in it. It's a lot of people say like discipline is freedom, right? To have restrictions lets you actually be more creative in some regards. And I think that's kind of what I was thinking about in this. I was like, wow, I just feel like a lot of modern movies don't have the ability to be charming in this way because they're not, they're, they're, they're so, they have so much opportunity to do so many things that they're missing out on being effective in small areas. Yeah, no, it's true. And, and that's one of the things that we talked about actually with, um, with Billy Wilder is that he was in a time where that shifted from him being the edgiest one in the, in the room to everybody else totally passing him and totally being, um, way more, uh, you know, the envelope pushing than he was. And, and he almost got pushed out because of that. He was in a, in a, in a state where, um, there was, there was so much going on and he couldn't, he couldn't keep up because his charm was really in, um, in hinting at the, at the edges in sort of being creative with innuendo being, um, you know, pushing the envelope in that way and in sort of a, um, a fun and, and unique way. And, and I, I totally agree. I mean, the, the charm of this movie in a lot of ways is the, um, is almost the taboo that is set up within the movie. You know, like you, you don't have to you don't have to put yourself in a mindset of like, oh, this would never happen in in 2020, which of course it wouldn't, but the movie establishes that this is, you know, uncommon or this is unusual. Like every every <laughs> every place that they go are like Wait, are they an actual married couple? You know what I mean? Like they, like it's established within the movie that they are weird. That this is kind of a weird situation, um, and and part of the the humor of that is, um, you know, is the fish out of, of out of water scenario of um, of Ellie of of Colbert's character being sort of living, you know hanging out with this rough around the edges dude um going on the greyhound bus uh you know b- being in in um in like rundown motels throughout the the eastern coast and and so yeah i think um what's interesting about this movie and what kind of will continue to come up um is the idea of the um the leading lady um in a lot of ways and so from what my in my experience with with screwball comedies there's a lot of um there there's a lot of uh women who are very confident very um boisterous very most of the time it's not the case in this movie but most of the time they speak really fast um and they're sort of the the um the one who takes charge in the situation um and then there's a um to, to as a as a backup to that to, as a foil to that there's sort of the um the less empowered male counterpart um or the one who's either frustrated with the with the female character or is kind of um uh taken along for a ride in a, in a lot of ways so um the, in this in this movie it's interesting. You see the seeds of that because um, there's a lot of, uh, you know, Colbert is obviously, um, in some ways, she's the one who um, 
not to say that she's the one who's taking charge, but she is very confident and very um, almost like cocky in a lot of ways. And so, um, you know, <laughs> Clark Gable's character, um, I think that's kind of why, um, the, you know, this movie is considered an early or a proto screwball comedy because it doesn't have all of the trappings. Um, his character is very, um, <laughs> is very, he takes charge, you know, he's not sort of a, um, an emasculated male, which is usually what we get in this genre. So, um, that I do find interesting going back to it after, after seeing, you know, knowing the history of, of sort of where where it goes in the genre. But um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on on sort of her as the leading lady? Um, well, I I think that Ellie's character has, I mean, essentially her her pursuit of freedom is what drives any sort of conflict or issue in the film, right? So she is the center of attention that is essentially creating any sort of shrapnel or damage on the other characters, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's it's interesting how you watch her mature in this short time throughout the film and kind of how you learn, right? Like we talk about how Andrew is her dad. Um, he becomes humanized because you realize how much he cares about her. And same with... Uh, Clark Gable's character right is he really does care about her um, in the end and all eyes are on her and yeah. I think that's just like you're saying right and that and all the characters respond the same way throughout the film I don't I don't really have much else to say about her but she is um, a driving force most definitely yeah and and so one of the things that you see and one of the seeds that this movie planted in the rest of um, of the genre is um, the female lead who is um, e- either in the driver's seat or either um, you know taking control in a lot of ways and and w- what I find fascinating about this situation or this you know this movie is um, it's it's almost by accident that that happens um, in this movie like there's um, Gable's character is trying to be the strong um, person, but but in in a lot of ways, the scenario just lends itself to being um, the deciding factor is on um, on Ellie. I mean, everything that she does um, informs the rest of the characters, um, and so so in a lot of ways, she wasn't. It's not that she was pinned down to be the sort of leading woman, but um, she was almost by accident the the leading woman in the in the scenario, um, and and you get the reverse of that um, within their own personal interactions because she seems very childish, she she seems very irresponsible in a lot of ways. And he's kind of the one who's who's pulling it together and being like, no, we need to do this. Um, you know, you can't. I'll I'll uh, I'll break our neck. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's he's pretty he's pretty aggressive towards her in a lot of ways. And um, uh, the the I guess the point of that in this movie is that is that he's as much as she's in the driver's seat uh, uh, in terms of of you know getting everybody together and sort of. Um, her being the final one to make the decision um, in the end. 
she um in some ways i think she she appreciates the um almost heavy-handedness that that gable's character um brings to the table she she i think the movie in some ways is is presenting the opinion that that she needs to be sort of um taken care of in a lot of ways um and she's not responsible enough to to be on her own and um yeah so i find that interesting how there's sort of a role reversal there um because well it's sort of yeah i mean it kind of mirrors andrew's character right mm-hmm. the fatherly figure and his harsh discipline but then clark gable takes up that role in a more like flashy you know love interest sort of way yeah right in a bad boy sort of way but it, at the same time she's still like drawn to that yes and it, i don't know it's 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 interesting yeah so um so yeah i i do want to go into um a little bit of where um so as i mentioned um this is an interesting time in in hollywood um it's kind of a changing period in hollywood um and this is also um in the middle of the great depression this is um sort of a serious time for for everybody in hollywood because um, you know, the depression affected everyone. Um, it affected the studios, it affected the stars. So, um, in a lot of ways, um, you know, this is, this is a movie that, um, subtly hints at the, the disparity between, um, sort of Ellie and, and her father and sort of the rich socialite lifestyle. Um, and then Gable is kind of rough around the edges. He's a working man, um, although he's a journalist. So it's I find it f- hilarious that so many of these movies deal with journalists. Um, yeah, I was thinking the same <laughs> thing. I'm like, what is the fascination with this uh, job role in Hollywood? I think it's just a good vehicle to tell stories in a lot of ways. Um, and... and I feel like it's a cop out motivation. It's like, oh, he's along for the ride because he can get a good story out of it. Yeah, in 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 some ways, but but it always it always works because you're you're along for the for the story um, in the same way that he is. You know, like it. I don't think it ever. Mm-hmm. I don't think it ever feels like cheap or whatever because for for his character, it's not that important why he goes along. Um, you're there just to see them hang out and to see them sort of uh where 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 it's gonna go so sure no i don't think it i don't think it like is bad for the store itself it's just the more of these old films we watch the more i realize why there's so many so many journals you know like yeah it's so weird you're totally right um yeah so so but there's a um yeah anyways so he's kind of a working man he's kind of down on his luck um and you see there's a couple moments in the film where um, she is, is, I would say she's criticized. Her character is criticized. Um, because, you know, there's that moment in the bus where, um, she very generously gives, uh, the boy Peter's money, <laughs> you know, and, and in a lot of ways, I think that's a comment on sort of, um, on, uh, on her position in life or her station in life. Um, and, and what we'll see, um, 
later on is that the disparity and the um the sort of rich versus poor angle is a is a very common theme in screwball comedies and it's one that will um increasingly come up um in a way that I think is going to be interesting I don't know maybe we won't see it that much cuz Hawks movies don't usually um play off that but in a, for example in a movie like um my uh uh my man Godfrey. Um, the love interest is sort of a in the same way. She's like a socialite. Um, she's very um, snooty in a lot of ways and and very uh, rich. And then the love interest or the the foil, the leading man, is um, her butler. Um, and so the the part of that movie is to play off of the um, uh, to to play off of that disparity between sort of rich and and poor. Oh, he's not. Sorry, not. He's not just a butler. He's a homeless man that ends up being her butler, <laughs> um, oh. which is hilarious. I mean, it's a great setup. Um, and he's kind of he's very shy. He's very like reserved, and so it perfectly works <laughs> as like as like the butler character. Um, and yeah, so so in, in a lot of ways, this is another very good example of where it led into um, it led into the the sort of further motivations of, or the further characteristics of the screwball comedy genre. And the reason why I'm hitting that so much is because this was a really important... So the, the amount of screwball comedies that came out from this, from, I mean, maybe the next two years to 1940, I think 43 or 44 is generally considered the last of the of the straight screwball comedies. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's in the same level that, that like noir becomes, um, in the forties and fifties or, um, you know, the, the historical epics in the, in the fifties, like it's a, it's a genre, it's a period in, in Hollywood's history, um, that is really important. And one that's just completely not talked about, I would say, um, Hmm. Maybe it's talked about in sort of, um, I guess like, like academic circles. I mean, I took a class about it. So, um, but the, the for the most part, I don't think people really know these movies, really care about these movies that much. And I think it's really, um, it's really interesting to see the roots of of what you know what it's going to be. Um, can you just redefine it clearly? Because I know you said you were going to define it. We didn't. And yeah. we've, yeah, and we've been talking about screwball comedies and whatnot. Like, give us, like, your just clear definition. Yes. For it. So I would say the screwball comedy is um, a romantic comedy that um, makes fun of or um, has a um, a satirical element towards sort of a traditional love story or a traditional dramatic love story. Um, and part of the fun of the screwball comedy genre is that there's, um, it's, it's about instead of, you know, in a normal dramatic movie, um, you know, you can think about something like, uh, like gone with the wind, uh, that we watched, which is, um, you know, took place in a similar timeline. There's a very serious element to that movie. Um, and you know, and the intrigue is like, it's less about, um, 
their interaction. It's more about like, well, they get together. In this movie, it's kind of assumed that they're going to get together. Or in these movies, it's kind of assumed that they're going to get together. The interaction is where the... Um, where the fun comes from. And it's about the mm, battle yeah. of of the sexes in a lot of ways. Usually it takes place where there's like a domineering woman and sort of a, an emasculated um, male. And um, that's part of, of where the, uh, the fun comes from. Like I said earlier, um, you know, I... A famous critic said that it's, it's a sex comedy without the sex. Um, there's, you know the 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 i my interpretation is that screwball comedies are a parody of um dramatic love stories um and what we'll find in a lot of ways is that they're um they go to like the furthest lengths that they can to um make fun of these specific roles make fun of the roles of the the that are established in the dramatic love story so nice well i'm looking forward to it tell us a little bit about the next director we're going to be watching and then we can wrap up our thoughts on this film. yeah so well i'll i'll talk a little bit about capra first um um, and just say um capra is obviously very famous um nowadays he made um it's a wonderful life uh he made mr smith goes to washington um and yeah, so I would say Capra is is very important in terms of of his imprint on Hollywood. Um, he's one of the most important directors of this time period, um, and um, this was his first big break. Um, so we're kind of we kind of watched his his um, thrust into the mainstream. Um, now Howard Hawks is one that is basically never talked about. <laughs> um and is never really brought up but in a lot of ways he is he um he has the same sort of sort of trajectory or a very similar trajectory that um uh that Capra does um and he's kind of an interesting foil to look at together um because he um was extremely influential in the um in the noir genre, in the screwball comedy genre, and in the sci-fi um, uh, genre, we actually watched a um, a Hawks movie. Um, we watched The Thing from Another World. Um, oh yeah! And so uh, he also um, uh, he also made a lot of westerns and a lot of sort of war movies. He he was kind of he was an everyman director, um, and I think what we'll see in a lot of ways is that he um um he starts a lot of things um that get taken and get sort of um he, he's like Hawks is a is a good example of someone who's like a pioneer in genres um who doesn't really get a lot of credit um and that's kind of why I want to talk about him and why I want to dive deep into him in the next month because I think he's really um, an important director and one who um, has left his imprint in so many movies, um, but is kind of uh, not. He he's he's a little bit looked over, I would say. Um, mm. So, well, I'm excited to dive into some of his films. Do we get to watch any of his westerns? Uh, yeah, we potentially. Yeah, we can. 
I'm excited. I, I I haven't watched a lot of Western movies, Cameron. I feel like I need to get into that. Maybe we'll do a Western month. We'll definitely field. do a Western month. Um, because I was think I was actually thinking about that for this for this month. Um, just because, um, for me, westerns. There's a lot of history along with with westerns. There's so much um, that you can dive into, and there's it's the it's one of the biggest examples of a genre that goes through waves. I mean, it's it. There are so many different eras of the Western um, that I just find I just find really interesting. So, in any case, um, any closing thoughts uh, before we hit recommendations on this movie? Any other histories or things like that you want to bring up here? Um, yeah. Well, I mentioned that um, obviously they, uh, you know, Colbert was very. Um, did not like this movie very much. Uh, was not a big fan of, of sort of what happened, um, and, you know, it, in some ways this was, it was probably, I don't know. I feel like I feel like this was a movie that really kind of thrust her. Um, uh, I I I think Colbert. She's like in the peak at this moment, but this is maybe the peak um, of of her career. I mean, obviously she plays Cleopatra, which is a movie that just flops terribly. Um, and and sort of post uh, post these movies, um, she, you know, she, I guess she kind of goes down um, d- downhill. I guess, um, but it it's not because of this movie this was kind of like at the peak of her of her career and one of the one of her most famous roles um yeah i mean i guess um there's not much else to say other than um just talking about our opinions of the film um just a little bit um cuz i don't think we did that very much it was more of a history lesson i guess um in my mind um this is a very um fun and interesting movie um but one that kind of um i don't know it's it's not it it's it's extremely accessible it's a uh, for me it's a movie that that i think um uh is one of those examples of an enjoyable um old movie and this is a really old movie i mean this this might be um, for some people, the oldest movie they've ever seen, <laughs> you know, if they watch it. But in my mind, this is extremely um, accessible, extremely easy to um, to to take in and to um, to to just you know enjoy. It's it's an hour forty five. It's easy to get into. It's not slow. It doesn't doesn't really drag. Um, it's just kind of fun, you know, it's very wholesome. It's very, um, endearing in a lot of ways. And I I feel like, I feel like it's, it's one that's worth watching, um, just because it's, um, it's very sweet and it's very enjoyable. So. Yeah, I agree with everything you say, but I just. I don't know. I don't know if it's something that you have to watch. I think that's kind of where I'm stuck. Is because it's not really. It 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 hasn't 
resonated with me in any way that is going to help me remember it. I feel like this one is going to blur into the background compared to Sunset Boulevard or, you know, um, uh, The Apartment or Casablanca, right? Like the, those are the black and white films that I'm like, I can't forget those yeah. ones, yeah, yeah. you know? Those ones have stuck with me um, versus some of the other ones where I'm like, yeah, they're kind of mixed together. Maybe screwball comedy just isn't my my thing, but I appreciated how modern and snappy it was because it made it approachable, right? Like yeah. It was easy to watch. I wasn't confused. I wasn't lost in any way. Um, I guess if you're looking for sort of a low-budget classic I could see some appeal like to go back and say, wow, like this movie was an indie darling in some way at a, at its time. And it, and it took away all the, the awards. I just don't find myself as a casual, like attracted to that. Um, I didn't, I didn't feel any sort of like urge to go run out and tell people they need to watch this in comparison to some of the other black and white movies yeah. that, that I've seen. But Overall, yeah, I mean, it's good. I would say it's... You could even go as far to say that this movie could be for everyone. Um, I feel like it's for casuals because you have to have some sort of, like, commitment. Uh, like, some tiny commitment to be exploring film, right? To to understand it. Uh, I think if you just showed this to everyone, like your grandma and your parents and all that, they'd be like, oh, that was nice. You know, they're not going to... I don't think they're. it's going to stick with them either. Um, but... Definitely good context for the month that we're heading into, Cameron. So good choice on on your part. Yeah, um, yeah. No, I I think it's for everybody, just in the way that it's um, it's just very accessible. Um, also, one thing I forgot to mention actually is that um, this is one of the earlier um, sound pictures. Um, so sound obviously came on the scene in 1927, um, and uh, this was only seven years after that. So, you know, it was, Capra was really one of the the biggest direct, or one of the most influ- influential directors in terms of, um, you know, this is too late to be considered a talkie, but in terms of those kinds of movies where it's um, heavy on the dialogue, heavy on sort of the scenario and the writing and the and the acting. Um, and a lot of this movie was improvised, actually. Um, a lot of the dialogue between the characters was improvised. So um, I think you can see that in the in the roots of where comedy goes, even just today. I mean, a, a lot of the a lot of comedies nowadays, um, you know the 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 dialogue and and many of the things are are improvised. So um, I do feel like you know this is a movie that um, uh, led the way in a lot of ways for um, you know for for comedy for sound pictures for um, you know the the end of the silent era um, and it's just interesting to to see if if you are curious about this time period it's a good it's a good uh example of a movie that i think um is really successful at making um you know making interesting dialogue making fun interaction um and i mean so i watched it on amazon um and there was an you know an ups it was an upscaled um uh 
you know, basically r- restored um, uh, version of it. And it looks great. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really um, surprising because I've seen this movie <laughs> a handful of times uh, in the past. And um, a lot of those times were on sort of really grainy DVDs or, you know, something like that. So I, I was surprised at just how good um, this movie looks. Um, and a lot of movies from this era do not look this good. So um, it's another reason why I think it's, it's for everybody is because it just, you know, it, it's enjoyable and it looks good. So, and it sounds good too. Yeah. 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 I didn't have any complaints with, I guess, the presentation at all. I don't know if I got to watch the uprezzed version. I might have rented the less uprezzed. I don't know. But it did look cool. I mean, some of the con- the the work with the contrast and all that. There's a lot of dark scenes in this movie that have um some neat lighting and yeah. all that. But overall, overall um good 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 contextual film for us to get into conversation further in our next uh month of of cinema cl- tackling another director. Um like we've done with other months in the past. Cameron, uh, any closing thoughts on the show? Anything else to say? Um, no, I think that's all. I, I enjoy this movie a lot. It's very, it's very easy to, to consume. You know, it's one of those movies where you're like, Oh, we're going to watch this in class. I'm going to hang out. You know, like it's very, it's very, uh, cause it's just nice. It's just a good wholesome movie. So, well, not all of us are in film class. I know. Cameron. I'm not in film so. class anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think that wraps it up. Guys, thanks for listening. Uh, we post every Monday, and we'll have another episode for you then. Cinema Spectator is an ECFS Productions podcast executive produced by Darren O'Neill. If you want your name read in the credits of the show, you can check us out at patreon.com slash Productions to achieve this status. Thank you, Darren, for the support. And for the rest of you, we appreciate your support as well. Have a good one. Bye.